Freedom HealthWorks is the direct primary care accelerator. We help doctors across the country start fresh in direct primary care. With Freedom HealthWorks, you work with a team, not a checklist. Visit FreedomHealthWorks.com and together we can achieve true freedom in direct care. Hi, everybody. Welcome to Healthcare Americana. I am your host, Christopher Habig, CEO and co-founder of Freedom HealthWorks, the direct care accelerator. Today, again, I know I say this a lot, but I get really excited about these type of interviews when we get to talk to people who are on the ground level, caring for patients, caring for people, and then doing it in a way that really prioritizes medical care in not particularly keeping people sick and keeping people having to come in for that episodic care. Obviously, listeners of the show know that I am talking about direct primary care or direct care as we like to say it. And so today is a unique story. We are joined by a friend of the show, I will say, and somebody I've been looking forward to interviewing for quite a while, Dr. Kendrick Johnson out of Phoenix, Arizona and ARC Family Health Direct Primary Care. Dr. Johnson, thanks for taking time to join us here on Healthcare Americana. Well, I'm I'm uh, honored to be here. I, I think that, uh, that it's a real honor to be on your program. I appreciate it. We share a unique background that not a lot of people have in that our parents, my parents, and then your father were physicians. You were probably uh, more welcome at the Thanksgiving table than I was when I said, I'm not going to go to medical school because you <laughs> obviously followed through with that one and, you know, probably made dad pretty proud there. And it's fun to share that type of a background with somebody because um, we were just chatting offline that it's a unique experience for sure. And that's one of the motivators of why I decided to get into the direct care world is because I always had a physician on speed dial and grew up mm-hmm. in my dad's office. And then to see what your experiences were. And I want you to talk a little bit about that, of why you were motivated seeing what he was doing and seeing the good in his community. And then you decided to go ahead and become a physician to help out. So kudos to you for sure. But give us a little bit of background on those stories of what you saw that your dad was doing within the community that really inspired you to follow through on your dreams? Sure. Well, I have this memory that, you know, I'd like to go back and relive it to see how accurate I'm remembering it. But the way that I remember it was my dad and I were in a grocery store. I was probably five or six years old. I was holding my dad's hand and a lady came up to us and looked down at me and um, said, I think with tears in her eyes saying, did you know that your dad saved my son's life? And imagine what kind of an impact that has on a little boy to, um, to have somebody say that about your father. And, and just think about the type of positive impact that that had on that family's life. And I think maybe it was from that, that moment on that I was like, yeah, that's, that's the way I can have the most, the most positive impact on the world is by following in my father's footsteps. And so I was always planning on doing it. And uh, then, you know, after the work of getting into medical school um, with this idea of preventing suffering and helping people to be lead happier and healthier lives, um, you know, you, you get to face the real, real, medical system or, you know, as you call it, the real medical industry and find out how your dream of helping people uh, matches up with the current opportunities in healthcare to impact the lives of people. 
And so that's the next part of the story, I guess, is, um, is, you know, how the dream of becoming a physician turned into the realities of, of what the healthcare system gave me. Yeah, absolutely. And you like to use the term sick care. And we've heard that before. And I think it is, I, I'm not gonna say overplayed, because I think it's very, very accurate. When you start talking about the business of the you know, I, and I appreciate the term, the, the use the term medical industry, because I think the term healthcare has become kind of a modern construct built within uh, this apparatus where you need insurance, but to get medical care within this industry, you know, you're going to medical school and you're learning everything you can about the human body, all the different uh, physiological aspects of it, even emotional health, mental health, physical, uh, you're learning about you know, pharmacology, pathology, did you ever learn about the finances of medical care? <laughs> uh, absolutely not. You know, that was, <laughs> that was probably, probably not only omitted, but, but it almost feels like in hindsight that it was, um, it was shunned from the conversation. And I think historically in medicine, um, any conversation about how it's paid for is considered a potential bias away from doing the right thing for the patient, which I can understand that argument. You know, am I going to order this medication or this medication? Well, which one costs more or which one is the best medication? And so I, I understand that people historically have said we shouldn't be making decisions based on cost because we just need to do what's best for the patient. But that's assuming that it doesn't matter to the patient what it costs. And so for I don't know how long we've been assuming that the patient's going to do whatever we say, regardless of the cost. And the statistics don't bear that out. You know, one in three medications are actually taken as prescribed. And so when we're seeing 25 patients in a day, you know, maybe only eight of them are actually following through with what we tell them to. And a big part of that conversation has to do with cost. Yeah, it, it, it's, it's something that I feel is neglected, not just from personal standpoint, but, you know, in our experiences with, with the medical industry. But you kind of, I like to draw parallels between what we call the medical care industry and every other industry out of the United States that goes by supply and demand. I understand the, the argument that we're going to do what's best for the patient and cost be damned. But I'm thinking here, you know, if, if my wife and I are in, in the market for a new car and we have young kids and I want the best car, the safest car that, that, that I can possibly get, assuming that I had millions and millions of dollars to throw at this thing, but it's just not a reality of our world. And I don't think it can be a reality of anything besides some, kind of grand scheme utopia out there. And it just boggles my mind why physicians think that they are doing the best for their patients, providing the best care, but then totally missing out on that financial aspect. Because like you said, it leads to things like non-compliance or people look at it and say, there's no way in hell I can afford this. So I'm going to put this procedure off. And they don't even think about shopping around and being a smart consumer about it. How does a physician have a clear conscience when it seems like they're missing a complete half of the story or maybe 75 or 95% of the story when it comes to how is my patient actually going to afford this? 
Well, a clear conscience is is easy when you aren't even asking the question, you know, and the whole system is built up saying, to shield you. Are you saying ignorance is bliss in this one? Absolutely. It is It is the responsibility of the physician to ask the question. There's no doubt. I, I went a long time blaming physicians for uh, what I saw as their lack of responsibility and pushing back on the, the healthcare system or non-system industry. But, but you got to think about these people um, who are putting 70 hours a week into patient care and you want them to spend some really good time thinking about how the system works. It's built in around them to not even give them an opportunity to think about it. Mm-hmm. And so I, it, it is their responsibility. It's all of our responsibility to ask the questions of what really is going to be best for the patient in the long run. However, individuals, it's understandable that we're not asking those questions because there's a lot on the plates of the physician just to get by. It's not a 30-hour work week for any of the physicians that I know, and they don't have, they don't have time to be sitting around thinking about how we could do this better, how we could... And they don't have an incentive either to, to ask the question, are we even on the right track? You know, is my whole career based on a fallacy? Is it based on this utopian system that you mentioned that doesn't exist where cost doesn't matter? And asking that question doesn't, doesn't pay off financially unless, unless you really go all in, you know, and, I, I, and even then yeah. it, it's a long shot. Yeah. I, I imagine there's a lot of residents out there just trembling in their boots, thinking about this saying, wait a minute, I, I'm barely earning minimum wage for how hard they're working me here. There's no way in hell I'm going to start raising a, a ruckus and trying to battle with the admin or even asking questions that, you know, it's, all, it's hard for patients to even find out pricing, let alone people within the hospital. Cause I think a lot of the admin who needs to justify a lot of their bloated salaries would sit there and say, and, Oh, who's this guy rocking the boat? He's very easily replaceable in their minds. Yeah. You, you mentioned something uh, interesting there from a business standpoint. And again, we, we kind of were laughing about this um, before, but the business of medicine is a very interesting topic. You just said right there that a lot of physicians aren't necessarily interested in talking about this or exploring it more the ostrich with their head buried in the sand. But is that an important conversation to have? Because I think knowledge is really power in this to, again, help out their patients. But if you go see doctors and they don't know a lot of the financial aspects of it, and they treat the business of it and financials as if they're allergic to it, is that going to better us as a whole from a position and standpoint, relationship standpoint? Or is it going to negatively impact it? If if you don't mind, I'm going to answer this in a little bit roundabout way um, because you might wonder is he get is he getting back to my question? <laughs> but but I, I just want to share an experience with you um, that that I I think really opened my eyes to this relationship between finances and and medicine and. It was in a residency. I was I was speaking with a healthcare CEO, and and he was telling me that all hospital companies who buy up primary care offices plan on losing at least ten percent on their primary care. So they buy up these offices 
with a plan that these offices will run at a loss. And it, w- it was like a light bulb for me at that point. They're not in the business of primary care. Mm-hmm. They're in the business of people coming to the hospital with really bad problems. So when they own the primary care, and what is their financial incentive to vet- invest in systems and processes that will keep people out of the hospital. Mm-hmm. There's, there's no financial incentive there. And, and then at that point, I don't think it really matters how good of a person the CEO of the, of the healthcare system is or the doctor in the healthcare system. If there's not a profit incentive, and in fact, if there is a profit disincentive to keep people out of the hospital, how much are you going to invest in making your primary care do the thing that it's supposed to do, which is keep people well. Mm -hmm. And, uh, and that was, that was a light bulb moment for me. It's um, it doesn't matter how much I want to do this job. Well, as long as I'm working for an organization that has a a disincentive for me to do it well, I'm I'm never going to accomplish the best, the best results. And so I think that that tells a lot about the interplay between the financial system and um, and the way that medical works. I'd say that's a very dangerous thought to to put out there, though, Doc. <laughs> I, I don't know if you're going to have a lot of people who are saying, oh, wow, I, I, uh, <laughs> I'm buying what he's putting down. But I, I see it, too. And we see it a lot and in, in not just with primary care as a feeder system. Because technically, that is illegal for a hospital system to mandate that their primary care only refer up in their system. But I think last time I said it happens like 95 to 98% of those time, those cases. Yeah. And I'm thinking, okay, well, screw that law. That's not going to be very, very effective here. And it, it just strikes me as a massive conflict of interest. If you, somebody goes to a primary care doctor, they got five, seven minutes, you know, in the typical insurance-dominated type of a setting. And the primary care physician wants to cover their own rear ends by not missing something. So I'm going to order a battery of tests, labs, different types of potential biopsies, procedures, you name it. And I'm sure, you know, you've seen this firsthand just so they don't get sued. And then you see those price tags, just the cash register going cha-ching, cha-ching, cha-ching all the way up because you're kicking everybody to specialists. And, um, you know, give give me your thoughts on this because I always describe healthcare in the United States as the inverted pyramid. So you think of a normal pyramid, it's got the wide base going up to the top. To me in the United States, primary care is at the very bottom of this inverted pyramid. It's the narrowest top. It's the narrowest um, part of the piece because that's where less people spend their time. And then you go up from there and it's all about following the money and what kind of massively inflated charges um, that specialists and and you name it in in a system can throw at people. I mean, would you disagree or agree with that statement? I, I agree, at least based on the, the numbers that I've seen. And I think the, the important question is why, you know, why is it set up like that? What, what is, what is pushing the system towards that? And you probably have better answers to that question than I do. Yeah. How, how much time do we have here? Uh, we can go back <laughs> Go back to the uh, shoot. The 1930s is when that actually started, uh, and then in World War II, with um, with wage controls and businesses trying to offer incentives for employees to come in, and so now we have the modern insurance aspect of it. And then, yeah, 
again, when the government steps in and says healthcare company, health insurance company, excuse me, uh, can only have a certain percentage of profit margin. Well, right. there's a lot more money out of 4% of a million dollars or hundreds of billion dollars than there is out of a hundred dollars. And so to increase the bottom line, you got to increase the top line. If your government regulations tell you to, you have to have a certain profit margin. So, you know, it's well, interesting those- to me how few people seem to understand that uh, aspect of how insurance works. Yeah. You know, I, I hear people at all levels of, of the healthcare industry say, well, of course the insurance wants the health, the cost of healthcare to go down, you know, because they're paying for it. And there's so many things wrong with that statement. And yet I hear it, you know, probably on a daily basis that um, even people high up in healthcare uh, companies seem to think that insurance companies want the cost of healthcare to go down. And, um, and you have to ask that question, do they make more money? when the total cost of healthcare goes down and their percentage of the premiums that they can take as profit shrinks along with the total cost of healthcare. Mm-hmm. And uh, so I, I think that that's an important point that people are not understanding. There is one of, one of a lot of important points. Um, you know, if you're talking to an economist about the third-party payer system, they kind of scratch their head and say, you know, this is so inefficient compared to the other market forces that are happening around the world and around the country more specifically. Again, it's one of those education points where once you tell somebody that story, they kind of scratch their head and say, well, I never thought about it like that. And I'm sure you get it a lot, you know, based on what you're doing within your practice. And when you go out and talk to somebody and say, yes, I'm a doctor. No, I don't work for a hospital. I actually do something really different. Here's what I'm doing. And I'm yeah. sure you see people kind of hit that light bulb moment on after a couple of minutes just chatting with them. But you know, it, it's kind of kind of our dual mission here that we have to show people there's a different way to access incredible medical care, such as practices like yours. Yeah. You've mentioned market voices and how that uh, how that drives our our current uh, healthcare industry or doesn't drive, you know, the current healthcare industry. And I think that that's, that's an important part of conversation, probably a whole different conversation about how we compare our, our healthcare system to systems around the world and talk about how we can improve it, you know, potentially with legislation, et cetera. But the point that you make about how market forces drive quality in other industries Mm-hmm. And it makes you wonder what's what's going to drive quality in the healthcare industry in the absence of true market forces, you know, in the absence of a consumer that um, that can shop and and choose based on value and price. What what's going to push us towards excellence in the healthcare industry? And uh, you know, I would submit that um, in the absence of of the ability to shop and the ability to choose based on value. Um, we, we really are, are not going to innovate towards higher value healthcare because um, all the innovation is going to go as it has gone to figuring out how we can bill more for a new procedure, a new drug, a new piece of equipment, and without a connection to whether or not it actually helps the patient in the end. Absolutely. And a lot of, you know, to, to visit that political front, a lot of people think that 
the free market exists in healthcare and really, really doesn't, like we just said, the absence of market forces. And the worst thing that we could do is take what we have from more of a oligopoly with CMS, the government, paying almost 65%, 65% of medical bills and then four big insurance companies. And people want that to go into a monopoly type of a system where we just have one third-party payer there and that would be catastrophic. Now, on the other hand, people say, well, this works in every other industrial country out there. And I kind of say, well, there's only one superpower. So if we did it like everybody else, then we wouldn't be a superpower anymore. But anyways, there does have an advantage on like European system where they prioritize primary care, kind of revisiting what we, what we were talking about before. In that emphasis on primary care, again, building that wide base of the pyramid is what I want to talk to you about right after we hear from some of our sponsors here on Healthcare Americana. Stay tuned. Healthcare can be complex. If you're managing a chronic or life-threatening illness, Patients Rising is here for you. We built the Patients Rising Concierge to help you navigate stressful health decisions and get the support you deserve. You will find personalized support by calling, emailing, or visiting our website. Our team is standing by to help with your unique situation. Find the help you need today at patientsrisingconcierge.org. There comes a time when the man of the house must take charge. Family planning is a tough conversation for many. And at Happy Dad Vasectomy, we understand that decision isn't easy. When your family is complete, our no-needle, no-scalpel, no-stitches procedure will give you peace of mind about your family's future. Happy Dad Vasectomy conveniently books appointments within two weeks of calling and has locations in central and northern Indiana. Visit happydadvasectomy.com to learn more. Happy Dad Vasectomy, the easiest part of family planning. Whether you're a patient, employer, or physician, the Free Market Medical Association can facilitate and assist you in your free market healthcare journey. The foundation of our association is built upon three pillars, price, value, and equality, with complete transparency in everything we do. Our goal is simple, match willing buyers with willing sellers of valuable healthcare services. Join us and help accelerate the growth of the free market healthcare revolution. For more information on the Free Market Medical Association, visit fmma.org. Welcome back to Healthcare Americana. I'm your host, Christopher Habig, talking with Dr. Kendrick Johnson. And what we're trying to visit now is building that incentives. Uh, we mentioned before why people are might think that single payer could be attractive for it without, but unfortunately you build a monopoly and then in a monopoly, there's only one person who wins and that's the monopolist, everybody else loses. But building in things like price transparency, doctor, like you said before, is going to be huge, showing people the prices and then realigning incentives to quality patient care. So give me your experiences on realigning incentives so that your incentives as a business owner, and as a physician, align with the incentives of your patients to get and stay healthy. Yeah, that question of, of who has the incentive to do what, I I think um, really has to be at the base of, of the design of every, of every system that you want to create. And if you think about the incentives of direct primary care in opposition to the incentives of a primary care office that is owned by a hospital system, you'd start by first saying that the 
an individual primary care office owned by a hospital system doesn't really have uh, doesn't really have its own set of incentives other than to you know to please the the corporate entity and at least financial incentives those those all come you know top down and so um, in in that organization you know where are the financial incentives well as we as we discussed before you make money when people get sick and when they stay sick when they come back to the hospital there are exceptions to that and and sometimes i get called out for forgetting about acos and um and uh discounting the the current power of the aco to provide value based care but that's still where most of the most of the revenue comes from right yeah. is from from people being really sick yep so then if you contrast that with the direct primary care's incentives they're not going to be perfect either, right? There's there's going to be a profit incentive in direct primary care that says, I want to do as little work as possible for the fixed monthly payment that I'm getting. And so if you were to if you were to take that as far as it can go, you know, you could you could theoretically have a guy doing very little quality care, except for the fact that somebody is choosing to purchase this care mm-hmm. as opposed to in a insurance-based system where you know often those decisions are made not by the not by the employer who's paying for the care ultimately um, they're uh, they're a diffuse set of incentives but in the direct primary care case somebody is choosing to pay me to take care of their employees or somebody is choosing to pay me to take care of them directly. And so if I were to follow my profit incentive to do as little as possible, then I wouldn't have a business. Nobody would want to come see me. Mm-hmm. That's not the case in an insurance-based system where it is, first of all, very difficult to gauge quality, but it's also not the major driver of how people choose where to go. And that is such an important point. And I don't want to just gloss over that because what you did was just hit one of the arguments against direct care right on the head that sure, there is a lot of you know chatter out there that direct primary care and direct care physicians will only take the healthiest, less, you know, the non-train wreck people to do the least amount of work for the greatest amount of benefit. But that's not reality because the cost of switching is so low. And when you have educated consumers who have a bad experience or if you're not calling your patients back, guess what? They leave. They're not yeah. coming back. Same, same thing. If I have a bad experience at any type of, of subscription model, whether it's the gym, whether it's Netflix, is, is you know going out, whatever it is. If I have a really bad meal and bad service at a restaurant, guess what? We're not going back. But when you talk about people choosing doctors within the insurance system, I mean, in my experience, tell me if this is different, but it's just a list of physicians and people just start calling them and see when they can get in first. Right. And what is the incentive for those doctors to provide really, truly great care? Because they probably have a big waiting list. They're probably swamped 2,500 patients or more. There is no personal aspect of it. So again, it is taking kind of the theme of, the, of our episode here is market forces <laughs> interacting with medical care and it's letting 
patients be educated consumers and then forcing physicians to have really great customer service, something that we don't see a lot within insurance uh, dominated practices. Yeah. We were having a conversation this morning about a specialist office that we have been trying to get records from for over a month, calling, faxing, trying to get these records from. And finally, we got an answer. Somebody said, hey, you're number 500 on the list. Just wait and you'll get your records. And you would never see that in an industry where somebody is shopping for you know, their service provider, because um, as soon as, as soon as you find out that you're number 500 on the list for Costco to (laughs) return your, your goods or whatever, you know, you're like, well, I'm going to Sam's club. Yeah. And, um, and that's just, that's just not how it works in healthcare. You don't, you don't switch providers because of a failure in customer service, because it's, it's very difficult and you don't know how to, you don't even know who else you can go to. And um, there's, there's all kinds of things that disconnect you from the shopping that happens in other industries. Absolutely. Kind of last topic uh, today. I want to talk about, again, going back to the business of medicine and we get some pushback every once in a while. And you said that you've seen it too, that a lot of physicians and a lot of people who use physician services are very much against any type of profit motive or making money. And I, I, I want to, it always kind of scratches my head talking about private practice and then, you know, direct care, that kind of thing. But have you ever talked to a patient who says, doc, your services and what you're doing, you are charging way too much money for this. How dare you? <laughs> um, well, yes, actually, <laughs> um, I think I think there have been have been one or two comments like that in the last four and a half years, yeah. out of hundreds of people who who say there's got to be a catch to this. How come you're charging so little? But yes, the honest answer is there's been a couple of people who seem so disconnected. They're like they they have no idea. Um, how the system works in general. And so they're like, well, at the other office that I go to, my insurance pays for it. So why are you charging me a monthly membership? And they, and they don't understand the whole concept. Um, however, um, to your point of, of uh, being worried about charging for what we're doing in my experience. And, and again, I'm, uh, I'm, I'm not an expert on this, but but in my my experience, there is uh, there is an important question to be asked, which is, why do I get paid, and for what do I get paid? And um, in if I were an interventional cardiologist, for example, and I get paid, let's make up a number, $3,000 to do, to place a stent. And if I don't place a stent, I get paid $300. When I look at that angiogram, my thought is that as a human, I am more likely to see opportunities to place stents than not. Um, And, you know, if you, if you look at the, if you look at the statistics, it looks like we are, 
we're doing too much of that. We're doing, uh, we're doing too many things because we get paid to do those things. So am I, am I worried about making a, a, enough money to pay back my very large student loan debt? Um, no, I've, I feel good about paying off my student loans eventually. I think that's something that a doctor should be able to do eventually is pay off his student loans. I don't think we should necessarily live in, in poverty and debt our whole lives just because we want to help people. Um, however, I do think it's important that we ask, um, where, is, where are my incentives? And if I, am, uh, if I am doing this because I want to make more money than anybody else, or if I am doing this because when I prescribe this, when I do this thing, I make more money, then I'm going to do more of that. And so I think that it's important to ask those questions, especially in the beginning of starting a practice. Um, do I make more money when I prescribe a medication? Do I make more money when I do a procedure? And if so, how is that going to affect my choices? So we have, we have tried in our practice to make it so we don't make any more money in either direction if we choose to do something or not to do something. If we order an image, we don't make extra money. If we order labs, we don't extra make, make extra money. If we prescribe medication, we try and make it all just break even. We don't want to disincentive either because if we, if we lose money for ordering imaging, then we're going to order less imaging, you know, or we're going to want to as, as an organization. So, so profit, um, you know, that's a different conversation, I guess. Um, there, sh there needs to be profit in a business or else you can't grow a business. Um, incentive to do uh, procedures or anything else, I think that should be neutralized as much as possible in order to keep our incentive to do what's best for the patient. It's that episodic care versus the ongoing treatment and relationship that physicians like yourself have with their patients. And, you know, I, I will just comment one time because you said, you know, when our office makes money, I, I would I would say, you know, go ahead and tweak that to say that when you provide a valuable service because you've worked your ass off for so long and invested in your practice that you are earning those dollars, not just making them. All right. And so I want to make sure that you're giving yourself credit for that in all physicians out there, really. I mean, these are the, the you guys are some of the brightest uh, people in our society. And uh, I want to make sure that while people understand that medicine is not necessarily a career, it's a calling, as we always say it, that people do respect what you're bringing to the table. And that is worth something because, again, going back to supply and demand, not everybody can be a physician. So <laughs> I want to make sure that reward is there and the opportunity to earn a good living is mm -hmm. always going to be in physicians' minds, as well as taking care of people who really need your help. But Dr. Johnson, it has been an absolute pleasure talking with you today. I appreciate you joining us here on Healthcare Americana. Thanks for taking the time to visit with us. Oh, it's my pleasure. I appreciate learning from you. To learn more about direct primary care, visit freedomhealthworks.com. To check out all of our episodes, visit us at healthcareamericana.com. I am your host, Christopher Habig. Thanks for listening. 
Health insurance premiums are rising faster than actual medical costs. And employers everywhere are struggling to keep their heads above water and take care of their amazing team. Most people will never meet their deductible in a given year. So shouldn't there be an alternative to health insurance for people who don't really need it? At Custom Benefit Solutions, we build better benefit solutions by pairing local, direct primary care options with affordable medical cost sharing plans. This creates affordable options for America's small businesses. These companies are able to save money and provide an actual primary care doctor that'll take care of your employees and their families. Employees enjoy getting the care they deserve without struggling with confusing co-pays or deductibles. Want to learn more? Go to custombenefits.org and talk to a team member today. Custom Benefits Solutions. We solve for care. New Era Health Plans brings a unique solution to health insurance. We offer private insurance that allows you the freedom of choice of any doctor, any hospital, anywhere. New Era offers modern, flexible health insurance, life and supplemental, Medicare and education resources. We are a national agency licensed in most states. New Era emphasizes educating our clients and helping people make smarter decisions that deliver value and peace of mind. Our plans allow our customers to save 25 to 50% each month while providing transparent health benefits at a price that actually makes sense. New Era Health Plans is committed to providing the best service to self-employed business people, individuals, and families. We are an endorsed vendor of the Free Market Medical Association and believe in the power of free market medicine. For more information, visit NewEraHealthPlans.com. New Era Health Plans, modern, flexible health insurance plans. New Era Health Plans, Inc. is an independent field marketing organization representing Philadelphia American Life Insurance Company. Hi again, everyone. This is Chris. At Healthcare Americana, we're always on the lookout for great stories to tell in the healthcare industry. And we'd like to hear yours. Check out healthcareamericana.com and send us your ideas for episodes or if you'd like to be a guest. Thanks again for listening. Hope you enjoy it.